From the high desert of Boulder, Colorado, a mutant nexus at the base of the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, about a mile above the sea level portion of the Babylon Matrix, where we are nestled just beneath the beautiful Flatiron Mountains, this is Jonathan Zapp of ZappOracle.com, and welcome to this podcast of Reality Testing is Politically Incorrect. And this was written in 2006, and then a lot was added in 2010. I think I realized, I think I just realized why I get into trouble with so many people. Somehow I never realized what now seems obvious. Reality testing is politically incorrect. Whether you are a religious fundamentalist or a new age fundamentalist, on the right or on the left, it feels, if it feels emotionally satisfying, then it's true. And this is even true for scientism, by the way, for the folks who think that they're Vulcan-like but are actually very emotionally attached to their... Uh, unproven assumptions. What, rea- what really drives me crazy about this is that people on the left and New Agers who would be the first to criticize Christian fundamentalists for rigid, irrational beliefs often have no self-criticism about their own irrational beliefs. For example, twice this week, people have forwarded me the following email denouncement. Here it is in its entirety. A cosmic trigger event is occurring on the 17th of October, 2006. This is the beginning, one of many trigger events to come between now and 2013. An ultraviolet UV pulse beam radiating from higher dimensions in Universe 2 will cross paths with the Earth on this day. Earth will remain approximately within this UV beam for 17 hours of your time. This beam resonates with the heart chakra, It is radiant, fluorescent in nature, bloom, magenta, and color. Although it resonates in this frequency band, it is above the color frequency spectrum of your universe one, which you, Earth, articulate in. However, due to the nature of your soul and soul groups operating from universe two frequency bands, it will have an effect. The effect is every thought and emotion will be amplified intensely one million fold. Yes, we will repeat, all will be amplified one million times and more. Every thought, every emotion, every intent, every will, no matter if it's good or bad, ill, positive, negative, will be amplified one million times in strength. What does this mean? Since all matter manifest is due to your thoughts, i.e. what you focus on, this beam will accelerate these thoughts and solidify them at an accelerated rate, making them manifest a million times faster than they normally would. For those that do not comprehend, your thoughts, what you focus on, creates your reality. This UV beam thus can be a dangerous tool. For if you are focused on thoughts which are negative to your liking, they will manifest into your reality almost instantly. Then again, this UV beam can be a gift if you choose it to be. Mission 1017 requires approximately 1 million people to focus on positive, benign, good-willed thoughts for themselves and the earth and humanity on this day. Your thoughts can can be of any nature of your choosing, but remember, whatever you focus on will be made manifest in a relatively faster than anticipated time frame. To some, the occurrences may almost be bordering on the miracle. All we ask is positive thoughts of love, prosperity, healing, wealth, kindness, gratitude be focused on. The UV beam comes into full effect for 17 hours on the 17th of October, 2006. 
No matter what time zone you are in, the hours are approximately 10.17 a.m. on the 17th of October to 1.17 a.m. on the 18th October. The peak time will be 17.10, 5.10 p.m. on the 17th of October. You do not need to be in a meditative state throughout this time, though would be beneficial. The main key time, no matter what time zone you're in, will be the peak time of 5.10 p.m. Perhaps at this time, if you can find a peaceful spot or location to focus. The optimum is out in the vicinity of grounded nature, likened to that of a large tree or next to the ocean waves. Focus on whatever it is you desire. What is required for the benefit of all earth and humanity is positive thoughts of loving nature. We call this UV beam trigger event 818 Gateway. Please forward this message to as many people as you know who will use this cosmic trigger event to focus positive goodwilled thoughts. We require approximately 1 million people across globe to actively participate in this event. Please use whatever communication mediums, uh, I think it's called media, you have at your disposal. Reach out to as many people as possible. We require 1 million plus people at the least to trigger a shift for humanity from separation and fragmentation to one of unification and oneness. This is your opportunity to take back what is rightfully yours, i.e. peace and prosperity for all earth and mankind. This is a gift, a lifeline from your universe, so to speak, an answer to your prayers. I thought it was from universe too, but okay. What you do with it and whether or not you choose to participate is your choice. Mission 1017, Raphiem slash blue. The last person to send me this bit of channeled nonsense was an older, well-educated woman. When I made the mistake of trying to reason with her, I got back a snotty dismissal. Okay, stay there. In other words, if I am such a regressive, patriarchal, unconscious person that I don't take ultraviolet pulse beams from Universe 2 seriously, based on an email, then I'm just too clueless to even converse with. Unlike the photon belt we used to hear about, which attempted at least a patina of pseudoscience to justify itself, here we have something so aggressively nonsensical that it would make a medieval theologian blush to mumble it in Latin to an empty church. Notice that the announcement contains the classic pillar of New Age fundamentalism. Your thoughts, what you focus on, create your reality. We hear this constantly, ad nauseum. You create your own reality. There is, of course, some partial validity to that principle, but it is not an absolute as adamantly insisted upon by New Age fundamentalism. Let's reality test it for just a moment. If we create our own reality, then how come some sufficiently positive-thinking New Ager hasn't created an earth they can share with the rest of us that has no environmental pollution. Did all the children and babies that drowned in the tsunami create their own reality? I give a much more thoughtful critique of you create your own reality in dynamic paradoxicalism, the anti-ism-ism, since the principle is at the very heart of New Age fundamentalism. Uh, here is my critique of it from dynamic paradoxicalism. You create your own reality versus outer reality creates you. Recently, I was traveling with someone, a very interesting, complex, and worthwhile character, but who also proved to be an absolutist, a new age fundamentalist, whose whole family was under the spell, benign or malign, of various channeled entities. He believed, though pragmatic and shrewd in most other ways, so absolutely in the you create your own reality principle, deemed the absolute of absolutes by various channeled entities, 
that his plan for financial independence was to manifest money into my checking account. This was meant absolutely literally. No deposit would have to be made by him or anyone. The solipsistic assertion, you create your own reality, comes from channelers and the entities they claim to channel. It originated with Jane Roberts, channeler of Seth in the early 1960s, and has since been picked up by other channelers and associated entities. For example, Seth says, And if you believe in very simple terms that people mean you well and will treat you kindly, they will. And if you believe that the world is against you, then so will it be in your experience. And you can hear a, uh, an audio clip of Seth actually saying that. Uh, there's a uh, link provided in the document version of this podcast. As with most channeled material I've encountered, what is presented, usually with aphoristic authority, are dangerous half-truths. Uh, see um, another document, and what may soon be a podcast, The Siren Call of Hungry Ghosts on this site uh, for that more on that subject and for more on why you shouldn't uh, should be wary very wary about channeled material is what I meant to say uh, be a reason to read that or listen to it as a podcast eventual podcast hopefully hopefully actual by the time you read this or hear it in many social situations what you expect of others will greatly affect how they treat you but there are other cases where this doesn't apply very well at all. Let's say I am a Polish Jew when the Nazi army is invaded, invading Poland. Should I seek refuge in another country? No, that would be a fear-based surrender to negative thinking. Instead, I should stay put and focus on how kindly I will be treated by the Nazis. With fundamentalist consistency, other um, post-Roberts channelers insist on the same absolutism. For example, John Cali, Cali C-A-L-I, the channeler of Chief Joseph, writes, The idea intrigued me, so I kept studying and reading everything I could get my hands on. Finally, it made sense. I accepted we are totally responsible for whatever manifests in our lives. All of it. It's either that or a victim's. I never liked being a victim. Notice that John's thinking is the opposite of dynamic paradoxicalism. See my essay and podcast on dynamic paradoxicalism. You know what that means. It's either that or we're victims. In other words, it is either one absolute or another, and this is the absolutism I prefer, therefore it applies in all cases. And, and dynamic paradoxicalism is basically an answer to absolutisms. From this point of view, rape victims should be counseled that they invited or manifested the attack, however unconsciously, and need to look for the cause within. But there are such things as victims, an abused infant, for example. But accepting that doesn't mean the opposite absolutism that we're all victims, since there are many people who have discovered ways of being empowered in difficult circumstances. The absolutist never acknowledges that there is a middle range of positions, as well as some cases that fall on either pole of the paradox. You create your own reality does not work as an absolutism, but it is a major reality formation vector. In many cases, you do create your own reality, as in the principle, psychology is destiny. This principle applies most potently to our inner reality and next most potently to our voluntary relationships and life circumstances, much more so if we live in a relatively free society. This principle also applies potently, but not absolutely, to the dream time. 
Since our dreams can involve visits or invasions by other autonomous entities, they may not be entirely our own creations. Also, it is an unproven assumption that even when we are alone in the dream time, that the dream is entirely our own creation. I have noticed that the surreal complexity of dreams with their double and triple entendres and layers of symbolism does not seem to be at all dependent on the imaginative capacity of the dreamer. People whose waking personalities seem dull and unimaginative have dreams that seem like they could have been directed by David Lynch. You create your own reality absolutists may invoke quantum mechanics to justify their fundamentalism. Indeed, the wave-particle duality, a photon being a particle or wave depending on which you expect it to be, does raise questions about reality as observer-dependent. Again, I feel that this principle is a potent reality-forming vector. I just don't think it is the only vector. There may be other humans collapsing the wave function based on different intentions than ours. And there is also the gigantic inertia and momentum of the collective human psyche affecting our world. There is a new age tendency to use quantum mechanics as a magic wand or an endless supply of fairy dust that can be used to justify any proposition, no matter how fantastic. The abuse of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which was created to have a very specific application on the subatomic plane, is used by some relativists and new ager to mean everything is uncertain, which for them means anything goes. Quantum mechanics does, does have profound implications, but we can't be cavalier about applying them to the human reality. Quantum mechanics applies to the subatomic domain, and it is comprehensible in the language of mathematics, not English, so we need to be careful about applying our personal mythology of what quantum mechanics means to the human domain. Another way to justify you create your own reality is to radically redefine the you in the principle. If the you refers to the personal ego and its wants and desires, which is how most people implicitly use it, then you have the weakest and most repugnant version of the principle. If you is redefined as the self or expanded to an ultimate degree, so that it means a cosmic awareness underlying and connecting everything, then you have the strongest and most valid case of the principle. Though, maybe you wouldn't be saying much at that point. Jung defined the self as the totality of all the psychic structures. It is the self, not the ego, that would have access to true will, a will that derives from essence and that is in accord with the, with the will of the cosmos. If the you is the self creating, creating from true will, then the principle becomes far more robust. In many cases, you create your own reality is the most useful side of the paradox, especially when applied to psychology, individual and collective, and the circumstances created by same psychological factors. And for the collective, it would be more that the collective creates its own reality, not an individual in it. Though they'll have some effect. Someone who is caught in, in a neurotic reality tunnel and has a history of abusive relationships as a result of their own unconscious choices, would be well advised to move past victim of circumstance self-pity to see how they have largely created their own reality. But the you create your own reality absolutists don't stop there. They apply this principle to victims of tsunami and famine. They apply it overconfidently in cases where huge macrophysical events affect an entire population. In some given case, there could, uh, this could still have a possible validity. 
For example, statistical analysis shows that a significantly greater number of people than average make last-minute calculations on plane flights that later crash. Some given person might have watched the water moving away from the shore, and instead of accessing some primal intuition to run to higher ground, as many animals did, allowed some inner intention toward oblivion to keep them on the beach. Another way of stretching the principle to cover cases like this is to resort to past lives and to claim, based on no direct evidence, that everyone hit by a tsunami or erupting volcano, etc., had past life karma that made such circumstances right for them, or unconsciously intended by them. Although this can't be proven or disproven, it starts to get morally repugnant, as an affluent New Ager can therefore feel that people experiencing macro-catastrophic events are still in charge of their own destinies. From their point of view, an infant dying of AIDS is creating their own reality, however unconsciously, as surely as some affluent person repeating a neurotic tendency in romantic relationships. Although you create your own reality absolutist and never admit this, the principle requires an act of faith as much as any religious fundamentalism. They never acknowledge how much their principle is di divorced from empirical experience. Why hasn't some sufficiently positive thinking you create your own reality person, for example, created a world without environmental pollution? If everyone is creating their own reality, why does the rotation and orbit of the Earth have such predictable clockwork accuracy? Wouldn't some true-believing schizophrenic who knew absolutely that the Earth's orbit was based on his whims have an influence? Wouldn't people who wanted a particular day or night to last a bit longer throw off the Newtonian clockwork? Does the you-create-your-own-reality re principle apply only to benign, politically correct intentions like world peace, which shows no signs of happening despite all sorts of individual and mass prayers and intentions? Wouldn't the principle apply with equal validity to malevolent individuals? Suppose my intention is to bring a black hole into the solar system or to abuse and manipulate someone else's reality. Since we are part of a human collective, what happens when our application of the you-create-your-own-reality principle is inconsistent with other members of the community? How does that get worked out? Even on the individual scale, the principle seems to work in some cases, but not others. There are all sorts of medical miracles where someone does seem to create their own reality in direct contradiction of medical prognosis. But this effect seems to go only so far. We don't, for example, have any documented cases of a transsexual who absolutely believed he was another gender waking up one day to find a new set of genitals that matched his beliefs, intentions, etc. Uh, or it might even be more, since subtractive surgery is more doable, uh, might be even more impressive if a, if a woman were to be, wake up and one day be a man. Somewhere I remember reading about someone who observed many faith healings and saw many crutches thrown away, but never a wooden leg. Philip K. Dick said, uh, I think it was supposed to be uh, uh, Mark Twain that said that, but I couldn't verify it. Philip K. Dick said, reality is that which when you stop believing in it doesn't go away. On the other side of this paradox, outside reality creates you. An example of this point of view is environmental determinism. Environmental determinists believe that physical environmental factors determine human behaviors, social structures, and culture. 
I dislike this position as an absolute as well, but the environmental determinist has a much more impressive array of evidence to support their position. Environmental determinism is the position of a book like Guns, Germs, and Steel, which makes a case for climate and microbiological factors as keys to explain why technological civilization would arise in some parts of the world, but not others. Marxism is another example of environmental determinism, uh, where economic structure of society is said to determine everything else. A potent example of cultural determinism is language. All of us speak and think in one or more languages that long predated us. So for me, that's English, for example, and for many of the readers or listeners, obviously. Um, however, <clears throat> we didn't create those languages. Our minds were booted up in a domain of English users, for example, and this language determined outside of us drastically affects our sense of time and our perception of all manner of inner and outer realities. I, if I create my own reality, then I must have created English as well, since this is too gigantic a factor in my life to have possibly been determined outside of me. Environmental determinism may be valid in some cases, but is a deeply flawed proposition if accepted as an absolutism. Environmental determinism is an extroverted, fundamentalist, materialist point of view. It does not sufficiently take the human psyche into account. Nazism was not merely a response to economic and climatic conditions, but an eruption of the collective unconscious. Though the environmental condition of being humiliated by the Treaty of Versailles was a factor, there were psychological factors that could not be reducible to just that. According to dynamic paradoxicalism, some things are best understood as realities created by psyche, others by outside causation, and still others by confluence of the two factors. A unified way of including both sides of this duality is to say that yes, you create your own reality, but this you is not necessarily you as an individual, but rather the universal mind, the source out of which your psyche manifests. And that's the end of this long excerpt from Dynamic Paradoxicalism. If we create our own reality, now I'm returning to dissing the email that began this piece. If we create our own reality, then why the hell do we need ultraviolet pulse beams from Universe 2? Maybe we need to scale down this fundamentalism a little bit uh, to some more realistic corollaries like you create your own emails or you create your own nonsense that you can put in your own emails. Oneness versus eachness. In a necessary conflict amongst a group of people I just had, an inflated New Age type, um, I just had an inflated New Age type pull out the oneness card as though that trumps everything. You can always tell when someone is getting absolutist on you when they start to use all caps to show that they have the ultimate truth, exclamation, exclamation. Here's a sample of one of a couple of his sentences, and I'm just going to raise my voice to indicate all caps. First love in all things, oneness, four exclamation marks. Then everyone will see clearly how to bring about a resolve. For, then everyone will see clearly how to bring about a resolve for all involved. I wrote about this sort of oneness abuse 10 years ago. 
Some people in the New Age, particularly those who have dabbled in Eastern practice, have swung with the pendulum of enantiodromia to a new extreme or one-sidedness. They will monotonously insist on the oneness of everything, no matter what is being discussed, and use this obvious reality as a way of leveling all difference, distinction, and discernment. This point of view can be even more limiting than the tunnel vision of the reductive thinker, since at least the reductive thinker is still thinking and investigating something, no matter how much they miss the infinite, interrelated context of the something. This type of New Ager, however, takes oneness as a truism that relieves them of the name of the need for thinking, discrimination, and discernment, and pulls oneness out of a hat like the most tired of magicians' rabbits whenever any issue requiring discernment appears. Recognizing that individuals or groups that are in conflict are part of the same oneness is crucial, but is also crucial to recognize their individual differences and what sets them apart. The great American pioneer psychologist William James wrote more than a century ago that besides the oneness of things, anyone who glances at the phenomenal world should also be struck by the eachness of things. We see a world of unique individual trees and people, for example, and not an homogeneous mass of treeness or undifferentiated pool of humanity. The androgynous mind recognizes that there is both oneness and eachness. There are the two poles of the paradox that must be held in mind to understand both interrelation and individuality. And maybe instead of the androgynous mind, I should have put in the dynamic paradoxicalist. And again, that philosophy is explained uh, in the document with the same name. For, for an hilarious example of a New Ager trying to use the most tired of magician, magician's rabbits, see, my fight with an Egyptian sun god. That's another document on the site. It's pretty hilarious. Similarly, many of my friends on the left feel so self-righteous and sure of their convictions that fact is no longer a necessary ingredient when criticizing the right. And of course, it goes without saying, I guess, that fact is not necessary for people many people on the right, the Tea Party, Fox News, and so forth. I'm just putting it more the other way, since it's be people who are more left-leaning like myself who are likely to even be reading this far. Shortly after 9-11, in an article called Left Off Balance, I noted the following in a discussion of shadow projection amongst people on the left. This is a, a quote from my article. Here's a classic example that happened just yesterday. I get, on a, I get on email and find messages from two different people, a dire chain email petition that tells me that they, there's always a mysterious dark they, are trying to sneak through an amendment to the Constitution trying to outlaw gay marriages. I scroll down and see some very intelligent people I know have added their names and addresses to this document. After a stunned moment, I realize this is utter nonsense. It is impossible to sneak an amendment into the Constitution that requires huge congressional majorities as going to be a huge, drawn-out, high-profile, <clears throat> high-publicity process. The Constitution has not been amended in decades. I'm no expert. I slept through civics class in high school, too. But isn't this general knowledge? People I knew were forwarding this bogus bit of propaganda, adding their names to it because their shadow projection makes them gullible, and able to be blindsided by darkness. 
because they so easily project the shadow onto a they, which they believe runs every governmental and media decision, they could be made fools of, manipulated by somebody who very likely just wants their names and addresses for a shadowy purpose of some sort. It never occurred to them that a shadow might instead manifest from one of what seemed like their number. They were giving away voluntarily their info, their privacy, because their shadow projection blinded them to the multivalent aspect of darkness. It shows up everywhere. Most people are murdered not by the government, not by terrorists, but by people they are close to, and even more often by themselves, particularly via bad health habits. Another example of the failure to discern shades of gray are the constant statements I'm hearing that are variations of they have complete control over the media. It's all just wartime propaganda. It's all lies. An example of this point of view is a very amusing recent Tom Tomorrow cartoon. Again, this is all written uh, close to, not too long after 9-11. In the cartoon, two news anchor people are going to give a report on why they hate us. The camera turns to a female TV person and she says, they hate us because we're free. The male anchor person gets on and sniggers that they probably deserve a Pulitzer for that. So I laugh at this cartoon, go with its point of view, because I hate plastic news anchor types and love biting sarcasm. But then I look up and see, and see this week's Newsweek, can't get more mainstream media than Newsweek, and see the cover says, why they hate us. I have it in front of me right now. Inside, I don't find they hate us because we're free. I find a 20-page article that begins with the sentence to dismiss the terrorists as insane is to delude ourselves four sentences later they dismiss the statement we stand for freedom and they hate it then follows a nuanced probing look into cultural religious geopolitical variables that have brought their hatred about the west is not portrayed wearing a white hat they also state the daily exposure to Israel's iron-fisted rule over the occupied territories has turned this into the great cause of the Arab and indeed the broader Islamic world. Elsewhere, they look at American policy in the region as, quote, cynically geared to America's oil interests, supporting thugs and tyrants without hesitation, unquote. Does this article have a bias or two or three or more? Sure. How could it be otherwise? What human account of events doesn't? but it is full of relevant information, most of which is factually true. On the other hand, if I believe the mainstream media is in lockdown mode, then I never bother to read Newsweek, since I know in advance corporate control media is all lies. In the aftermath of September 11th, I hear people on the left state adamantly that they have the media in complete lockdown mode. But often I hear this point of view from callers calling into nationally broadcast talk shows especially on NPR. NPR still gets some money, if not as much as they should, from the government. Most radio call-in shows use screeners. They can easily and invisibly control content by who they allow on. Caller after caller after caller to a show I listened to on NPR had a radical leftist point of view and were unilaterally criticizing the U.S., saying on national radio that they control the press. There is no freedom of press. It's just what the government and corporations want us to know. None of them seemed struck by the irony that they were saying this on a national broadcast heard by millions. When I point this out to le leftist friends, I hear, you see, they're just allowing that, so you'll think there's a free press. And that was the end of the 
passage from Left Off Balance. And by the way, that's a classic poor reality testing thing where no matter which way it goes, it conserves your point of view. So if they didn't allow such callers in, they'd be like, see, it's totally controlled. They do allow them in. Oh, well, they're doing that to fool you. So heads they win, tails you lose. In the years following 9-11, a new fundamentalism, fun, fundamentalism developed, the 9-11 truth movement. That has become a fundamental that it has become a fundamentalism should be obvious from the deceptive name name the 9-11 truth movement. I would have no problem with it if it were called the 9-11 conspiracy movement because that's honest. It consists of people who believe that 9-11 was an inside job, a US government-based conspiracy. I have no problem with the C word because there really are conspiracies. But when it calls itself a truth movement, it announces that it is a fundamentalism. A real truth movement would mean an investigation that was open to learning things that contradicted what the investigators originally believed. But here, truth means what it does for any fundamentalist. We own the truth, and our movement is devoted to proselytizing and converted the heathen who don't know the truth. To be fair, the 9-11 truth people do present evidence, lots of it, um, and much of it seemed impressive. I put that in the past tense um, because more recently the evidence is seeming less and less impressive. In a three-hour debate I heard hosted by Ian Punnett on uh, um, Coast to Coast AM between Richard Gage of uh, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth and physicist Dave Thomas, I thought the 9-11 side got trounced. Uh, the towers collapse started exactly on the side and place where the planes hit. There were perfectly good reasons why Building 7 collapsed, etc., etc. A quick summary of some of the basics of what's wrong with the truth review can be found here. I give a link. The very first, and to this state, widely believed conspiracy thought form is that no Jews died on 9-11. But there were multiple deaths just among the congregation of my parents' synagogue in Manhattan. And, and it, by the way, a majority of people in the Arab world believe that. Uh, no Jews died on 9-11. Some of the recent responses to 9-11 Truth, the popular mechanics article and book, documentaries from National Geographic and the History Channel, have pretty convincing answers. The makers of loose change have to keep revising based on disconfirmed theories and now say they don't make claims about controlled demolitions of the towers. I don't rule out a false flag conspiracy as a remote possibility, or that some members of our government knew something was about to happen and chose to look the other way. And that has some validity because there was criminal negligence going on. And I recommend uh, Peter Lance, peterlance.com. He's an investigative journalist who's written books like Triple Cross, and he seems to really have his facts together far more than any 9-11 truth person. He was on Coast to Coast once with Alex Jones, who just, not that he needed another example, just confirmed for anybody paying attention that he's just a total bloviating fool who, uh, you know, uh, j just thinks they can sort of shout down people with other points of view. <clears throat> but that's all another story. For example, two pretty obvious questions occur to me, and whenever I ask a 9-11 truth person, I never get a satisfactory response. 
They say that three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. If 9-11 were stage managed by the U.S. in the way that most 9-11 truth people claim, it would require a conspiracy uh, uh, with probably a thousand or more people in the, um, in the know, working together with military precision and no leaks. Now, we did do a pretty good job with the Manhattan Project, but this was like pre-smartphone. They had everybody like working together in like an isolated base. And so I think they were able to bottle it up pretty well, but it doesn't really correspond to a thousand people in the present era. But the Bush administration, like every administration, was riddled with embarrassing leaks all the time. Like the intelligent assessments that said invading Iraq increased our risk of terrorism. That got leaked out. Even Noam Chomsky calls the truther view of 9-11 nonsense for that reason. Second, if these people are such efficient puppet masters, able to create such an elaborate event as 9-11, secretly wiring skyscrapers with thermite, making whole plane loads of citizens disappear forever, then why didn't they plant some WMD in Iraq? That would have saved them tremendous, the, the tremendous political capital they lost um, when they didn't find that. Uh, the, and they lost it both nationally and internationally when they didn't find the WMD. Planting WMD in Iraq would be a cakewalk compared to pulling off 9-11. So many evidence is get purported um, without the puppet purporter stopping for a second to do a moment's worth of reality testing. For example, the endlessly referred to Lowry Silverstein quote about pulling Building 7, and this is quoted constantly. Um, firefighters are on the record. They knew that Building 7, uh, which had been burning um, and, and mostly neglected for several hours, was going to come down, and they decided to pull the firefighters out. Pulling the building when it is rarely used in the world of demolition, does not mean the use of explosives to destroy a building, but the use of cables to pull a building away from another building. What Silverstein was referring to was the decision by FDNY Chief Daniel Negro um, <clears throat> to pull firefighters from the building because they knew it was in danger of collapse and so many lives had already been lost. And there's a YouTube there. Uh, you can link on the page to see actual testimony. But reality tests the other proposition, that it meant that Silverstein was saying they were going to demolish the building. So that would mean that Silverstein was part of, or even, even a uh, commander in, the nefarious top-secret conspiracy to stage 9-11. Naturally, he would just admit his demolition command to the press on an NPR special. And given the impressiveness of the two towers coming down, why need to bring down this building? The truthers have an ever-changing set of conspiracies about why the government needed to destroy a building, housing numerous government agencies to get rid of certain records, etc. And there are other buildings that were destroyed, but beside the tower and Building 7, um, <clears throat> it wasn't the anomaly as claimed. A truther I just um, met on 926-11, who claimed to know everything about the subject, challenged me on Flight 93. He said, it just left a small hole in the ground and that the flight recorder and no human remains were ever found. And then I put a link to the YouTube where you can see the size of the hole and that, like all kinds of stuff was left. Finally, <clears throat> um, and, and body parts and everything. 
Finally, what 9-11 truth people and New Agers have in common is no sense of the trickster aspect of the unconscious and synchronicity. Wherever you cast your obsessive attention, you are bound to find weird patterns that are hard to explain as coincidence and that will tempt you to explain um, in ways that confirm your obsession. For example, it's a bit of a weird pattern that the terrorist attack in Spain apparently occurred 911 days after 9-11. Does that mean it was an intentional bit of numerological conspiracy? If you are a 9-11 truth movement true believer, then the answer is a resounding yes, because all weird patterning and synchronicity is interpreted in that direction. But I've got some politically incorrect news for true believers everywhere. This is a principle I coined many years ago. Weird patterning and synchronicities are to be found everywhere you cast your obsessive attention. Kids reading Aleister Crowley and playing records backwards will get conspiracy, you know, will get synchronicities and weird things will happen that will seem to confirm what's going on, but it may be just leading them down a useless rabbit hole. Here's an example of weird synchronistic patterning. I just saw a magazine ad put out by a tire company. The ad tells you how to tell if you have enough tread left on your tires. The test is you take a penny, put it between the treads to see if Lincoln's head is covered. It turns out that Lincoln's head is exactly one sixteenth of an inch from the outer edge of the penny. Okay, here's the spooky part that probably proves that Illuminati operating through the Federal Reserve control every aspect of this country. Lincoln just so happens to have been our 16th president. Does this mean that Illuminati secretly controlling the tire industry in the U.S. Mint set up that parallelism for some nefarious purpose? I think it means that weird coincidental or synchronistic patterning occurs everywhere and will light up wherever you cast your obsessive attention. Once again, my mind is open to false flag conspiracies. They certainly do happen. What I am saying is that I wish people would be wary of any sort of truth movement and engage reality testing. What disturbs me about 9-11 truth folks I encounter is that they don't challenge themselves with contrary evidence. They're too busy challenging people who don't believe their proposition. None of, none of the ones I've met, for example, ever stop to ask themselves if they could pull off 9-11, why didn't they plant some WMD in Iraq? Another force motivating many 9-11 truthers relates to shadow projection. Political correctness is essentially a template of what projections are allowed and which aren't. So for pe people from some political spheres, darkness, original sin, can only originate from the U.S., Israel, globalizing corporation, and New World Order, Illuminati, etc. type global conspiracies. There can never be independent origination of darkness origi originating from exotic cultures. If they do bad things, it is merely reactive to an original cause by the U.S., Israel, globalizing corporations, etc. Conveniently, they forget that Islam had an ideology of world conquest many centuries before there was a U.S., Israel, or corporation. In fact, Muslim armies nearly conquered Europe. They were stopped outside the gates of Vienna on September 11, 1683. For more on the shadow projection side of this, see Projection, the Enemy of Peace and Justice. It's a multi-part series. And written a day or two after 9-11, uh, Operation Infinite Projection. There are links in the online document version of this. Another obvious gigantic, gigantic elephant in the room that 9-11 truthers 
can't see is the voluminous evidence of al-Qaeda's explicit intention to bring down the Trade Center, their earlier bombing of it. Uh, go to PeterLance.com for some real investigative journalists by someone highly critical of the U.S. government's role in 9-11, but who is not a 9-11 truther. And one of the things that Peter Lance points out is that when they planted, when they parked the van in 1991 that had like 6,000 pounds of urea explosive in it, if they had parked it in a different spot, they could have brought on a 9-11 scale uh, catastrophe. The, the idea was they wanted one tower to fall into another. That might not have worked, but the whole complex and a large part of lower Manhattan is kind of in a concrete basin that's keeping out the, the river. And so if you just ruptured the wall by parking the van next to it, then it would have just flooded lower Manhattan, basically, and, and wreaked comparable or greater havoc than having the towers collapse. Uh, maybe not as many fatalities, but it would have it would have definitely halted the city or that part of the city, including the financial center. Anyway, um, Terrence McKenna had something very interesting to say about the conspiracy view of reality. Into that dimension of anxiety created by this inability to parse reality rushes a bewildering variety of squirrely notions, epistemological cartoons, if you will. Conspiracy theory, in my humble opinion, is a kind of epistemological cartoon about reality. Isn't it so simple to believe that things are run by the graves and that all we have to do is trade sufficient fetal tissue to them and we can solve our technological problems? Or isn't it comforting to believe that the Jews are behind everything, or the Communist Party, or the Catholic Church, or the Masons? Well, these are epistemological cartoons. It is kindergarten in the art of amateur historiography. I believe that the truth of the matter is far more terrifying that the real truth that dare not speak itself is that no one is in control, absolutely no one. This stuff is ruled by the equations of dynamics and chaos. There may be entities seeking control, but to seek control is to take enormous aggravation upon yourself. It's like trying to control a dream. And that was from Dreaming Awake at the End of Time. Most mass killings on this planet happen at the hands of various truth movements, people who already own the truth and demand other people get moving in lockstep with them. What would be helpful, but is apparently as wildly unpopular now as in the Middle Ages, would be a reality-testing movement. I have a feeling my inbox is about to fill up with evidence of just how unpopular, incorrect, reality-testing is on the left as it is on the right, in the New Age, as well as among the old-time fundamentalist. <clears throat> Since writing this article, I have gotten the announcement about October 17, 2006, from three more people. That was the original Raphael Blue email I read at the beginning. October 17th has now come and gone, and the only difference I noticed was our first snowstorm of the season here in Boulder. Did anyone notice what the email predicted? The effect is every thought and emotion will be amplified intensely one million fold. Yes, we repeat, all will be amplified one million times and more. Every thought, every emotion, every intent, every will, no matter if it is good or bad, ill, positive, negative, will be amplified one million times in strength. I have the feeling that the people who sent the email probably think that some sort of cool thing did happen. Um, something sort of cool did happen on that date and won't bother to reality test 
whether they experienced a million-fold amplification or something. For many people, million is just a throwaway superlative, but actually, a million is a number and a gigantic factor to multiply any human quality by. Imagine, for example, what would happen if Mel Gibson were a million times more angry? If our emotions intensified a million-fold, most of us would fly into pieces. Similarly, they probably never stopped to reality test this statement. No matter what time zone you were in, um, the hours are approximately 10.17 a.m. on the 17th of October to 1.17 a.m. on the 18th October. The peak time will be 5.10 p.m. on the 17th October. The peak time of the UV from Universe 2 would happen at the same unadjusted clock time everywhere, which of course that it would mean it would be happening an hour to many hours apart in each time zone. So the radiation stops at the edge of each time zone and waits an hour so as to preserve our clock time? Obviously, if I'm going to ask questions like this, I'm not ready to feel UV from Universe 2. In a parallel example, I remember once um, reading something about the old Batman TV series with Adam West. In one episode, Batman escapes a snake pit by throwing a batarang around a chandelier. One person criticized this and asked, why is there a chandelier above a snake pit? The author responded quite correctly that if you're going to ask that sort of question, you're not ready to watch Batman. Similarly, if you're going to persist in reality testing, you are not ready to play um, in the new age fairy dust sandbox of anything goes confabulation. It occurs to me that I should point out a key difference between being a reality testing skeptic and a debunker. A debunker is not a skeptic, but a true believer in a negative, and his reality testing is just as unreliable because he also begins already knowing the answer. Political correctness means the correct answers are known in advance of any situation. Political correctness is essentially uh, um, a template for, I guess I said that before, for what projections are allowed and what are disallowed. You are allowed to project the dark force onto the United States, Israel, and globalizing corporations. But you are not allowed to project the dark force onto exotic cultures. Therefore, if a more exotic culture like Islamic fundamentalism does bad things, it is because the U.S., Israel, etc. made them bad. Exotic cultures are not understood as being their own autonomous sources of darkness. If they are admitted as having a dark side, it has to be reactive, derivative darkness that ultimately is caused by the PC trinity of evil. Somehow the politically correct failed to notice that Islamic fundamentalists had an agenda of world conquest and significant success with that agenda for several centuries before there was in Israel, a United States, an oil industry, or corporations. Darkness is ubiquitous. If you think it can only originate from particular sources, then you are inevitably blindsided by the sources that your template of allowed projections wouldn't allow you to see. Uh, most of the above was written in 2006, but in the summer of 2010, a few more episodes have brought this subject to the foreground again. The episode I'll discuss here, <clears throat> and can reproduce exactly, was a little nonsensical Facebook exchange I allowed myself to get pulled into. When someone referred to a comment I made about a link to an article on SETI, I decided to do a little experiment. I decided to intrude a little bit of reality testing and found once again 
that many, in many New Age circles, reality testing is as unwelcome as the devil at prayers. I'm pasting in the exchange in its entirety for you to judge for yourself. Hopefully, you enjoy it. Um, I've changed the names of the correspondence for privacy purposes, just in case anyone was not naive enough not to recognize that privacy and Facebook are oxymoronic. The exchange begins with someone posting the following link. <clears throat> Aliens found in Ohio? Question mark. The wow signal. NPR. Think we've never heard from an alien? A radio transmission recorded in Ohio and translated into six little numbers and letters suggests there's a chance we have. Claudia. I believe this aliens, the universe, is a massive place. We are not as one. He said the, the two... 21 letter uh, U, that U for universe, it's possible, okay? Obviously, our English is a little garbled, so it might seem like I'm shooting fish in a barrel, but it's still a specimen. SETI operates, uh, so I responded, SETI operates under many false premises. For example, without doing any homework, they are sure there is no extraterrestrial contact already happening. Claudia. Just because certain people say it as to be proven who need to do homework when by the public have seen flying saucers object in the sky, some even say they came face to face with aliens and they were awake at the time it's happened. Uh, lots of countries in lots of countries. So, um, so, so therefore it has to be true. Scientists are not martyrs. Uh, they give their answer on their own opinion, which does not stand by all. Dominic. Yeah, but who has said anything about the possibilities of the signal actually coming from within the Earth itself? More like subterrestrials are within the hollow Earth, perhaps. Remember the Native American Indian stories of the honeycomb or hive people. Jonathan. The radio telescopes are pointed up toward the sky, not down into the Earth. I think that rules out hollow earth folks with, with radio transmitters. Dominic. I supposedly a lot of things in the atmosphere reflecting the signals around too. Isn't there something supposedly another one of them seemingly ridiculous conspiracies about how the government is purposely releasing boron metal and or quartz particles into the atmosphere at high altitudes? Perhaps that is helping keep the intense radiation coming soon to keep from cooking us when the ionosphere gets blown off by electromagnetic radioactive type pulses from solar flares. I know I'm using run-on sentences, but don't really care. Lots of laugh. Lots of laughs. Claudia. Alien guys, aliens, okay? D-E-F-O. I'm not even sure what that's Facebook acronym for him, but Dominic. <clears throat> Water makes cohesion possible, right? Well, I would think any viscous substance could contribute to cohesion, but what about surface tension? What if it is true that the world's oceans really does flow in the inside of the Earth's crust as well and channels light as like a refractory law? I'm not pretending to understand these things, but my brain never sleeps. It's all good though, <clears throat> and I can handle the intensity now thanks to deep meditative disciplines I've been practicing for over 14 years. <clears throat> I've been practicing over 14 years now before it was available to the general public. Yeah, I'm random and wild with my comments, but I, it gets people brainstorming all the more. <clears throat> and coalescence is what we need as all one or none. 
<clears throat> and he closes with a salutation. Hello, love, Claudia. All capitals, by the way, for hello, love. I don't sleep. My brain go into overdrive, but I say what I think, and I'm still thinking aliens. Please don't get a brainstorm it uh, too hard. It's too hard work. It will just make you think more. Is uh, there aliens or not? You'll be questioning yourself, yes or no. No, okay. Uh, that word, hello, I love, I've heard that. I don't speak it, do you? Jonathan. There's a common new age fallacy that randomly supposed intuitive brainstorming leads anywhere. It leads to more nonsense. Intuition combined with careful analytical thought and research leads somewhere. Claudia. Bonjour, Professor John. When I said brainstorm, I meant don't get think too much because it causes headaches. And as for research, people can research all they wish. Um, they come up with zero. I could do a damn better job than most of them. Um, what prof, um, they can't give a straight answer, uh, etc. Okay, and, and by the way, this may seem like I'm just like shooting fish in a, babble, in a barrel because these people are so <clears throat> inarticulate, but <clears throat> this kind of thing, they're just the caricatures of something that comes up all the time. For example, I just was part of a panel that was speaking at the end of a festival called Sonic Bloom, and there was a woman who does, a Caucasian woman who considers herself the lineage carrier, carrier of some Hawaiian something or other, actually said, <clears throat> I don't respect research, when I quoted some kind of research. I don't respect research. Okay, it's a pretty staggering statement. It's like the anti-intellectualism is like, don't bother me with the facts. You know, I, uh, what I believe is what's right. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, uh, you've eloquently stated the same new age fallacy that disparages thinking as leading nowhere. It can when not guided by global intuition, but then falsely concludes that a scattered lunar anything goes mental state is superior. This is a classic example of what Ken Wilber calls the pre-trans fallacy. It is also anti-intellectual, disempowering, and dangerous. And again, I realize the absurdity of this dialogue, but I just wanted to see where it would go, because just to kind of test things and see if we could draw out more specimens. Hey, darling, this is Claudia. Don't you rock my boat, okay? Don't you dare have the audacity to say mental state, okay? Mine and Dominic brain is in, intact, okay? I need to click to no think because you're rude. If anybody, God forgive me, has mental problems, look no further than your nose because I never insulted you, okay? I mentioned brainstorm as headaches. You got the your head in too many books, okay? Please take a breather and come up for air. Now, I'm a beautiful person, but you cannot insult people with the word mental state, okay? That no-go, REM. R-E-M. What that means in that context, I have no idea. Jonathan, I've said my piece. The term mental state is not an insult. Everybody is in a mental state of one sort or another. I just happen to prefer mental states that have a certain coherence. Claudia, hey, professor, no more said, okay, I'm lucky enough to be able to comment. It may not be perfect. It may not be the right answer, but I try my best. So please just forget it, okay? Because life's too short to bear grudges, okay? Dominic. Looks at life through a child's eyes, despite others of a higher superiority calling me the dreaded word genius. Hypothesis. An educated guess? My first memory of the word 
from when I first learned of its meaning back in high school. Funny how some things stick with you, huh? I cannot stand the word expert either, as that leaves no room for further growth and learning. Ha ha ha. I'm laughing with you all, not at you all, brothers and sisters. And no, I do not take medication from my seemingly unbalanced perspective on certain matters at hand. Waves. Please. All in capitals for some reason. Find a way to set aside the illusion of egotistical difference and love one another. Three exclamations. Claudia. I'm loving, I'm loving, okay. I love everybody. The exchange ends appropriately enough in the It's All Good New Age sandbox where everybody loves everybody and everyone is entitled to his or her opinion, which is as good as everyone else's opinion and truth is whatever you want it to be. I've also seen recent cases of people, well-known writers, some of them, I have met personally and found likable and interesting, but who seem to have abandoned their critical thinking skills in favor of anything goes new age speculation, new age confabulation. Uh, what's troubling is that letting go of critical thinking seems to be a progressive disease. These people are respected as thinkers who at one time seemed to mostly make sense and now seem to be very deep into making nonsense. In their minds, slinging around the fairy dust in the new age sandbox is pushing the envelope and shifting the matrix. That's the kind of brainstorming type stuff. To me, they seem to have fallen for what Ken Wilber calls the pre-trans fallacy. In dynamic paradoxicalism, I describe this fallacy as follows. Essentially, the pre-trans fallacies, fallacy notices a common tendency to confuse pre-rational states with trans-rational states since both are non-rational. The reductivist version of this is the tendency of scientism which reduces all trans-rational mystical states to pre-rational infantilism and dismisses authentic spiritual experiences as superstitious nonsense. Freud clearly fell for this half of the fallacy, especially in The Future of an Illusion, uh, his book Dissing Religion. The elevationist version of the fallacy, ubiquitous in the New Age, is to elevate pre-rational states to the transcendent and to demonize rationality. From this side of the fallacies, babies are thought to be Buddhas, and anything tribal or aboriginal is romanticized and inflated as infinitely superior to anything modern or rational. Promiscu not that tribal is irrational, but I should have said uh, any anything modern really is what I should have said. Promiscuity is seen as a daring rebellion from antiquated taboos, even though it is usually in high conformity to what peers are doing. Um, they recognize as conventional the older sexual mores of the past, but fail to recognize that their rebellion is part of a vast conventionalism of the present, and that this new conventionalism is actually based on a still more primitive level of development than the old conventionalism. Regressing to pre-rational hedonism, indulging every impulse and irrational notion, is seen as enlightened, post-conventional, and transcendent. This is the state of the typically goofy New Age person who never heard an urban legend or bit of mystical-sounding nonsense without adopting it wholesale. This type of person is fiercely anti-intellectual and anti-rational. So it is impossible to talk them down from their absurdities. Even the attempt to do so casts you in their minds as this clueless rationalist stuck in their ego. Like that statement from the woman who originally sent me the Raphaim Blue email, okay, stay there. 
I'm just a clueless stick in the mud because I'm asking questions. They believe they have transcended rationality while forgetting that to transcend something, you first have to achieve it. What I would like to see is critical thinking and reality testing make a comeback. I would like to see people calling other people on their new age confabulations. SETI, uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, points its radio telescopes toward the SARS and tries to sift the noise for signs of intelligent signals from extraterrestrials. Right now, it feels like we need a STI, Search for Terrestrial Intelligence, that can sift through the ever-increasing noise and find signs of intelligence signaling from terrestrials. There is a huge part two to this document, a specific case of reality testing breaking down, and my much more detailed psychological analysis of why reality testing breaks down in some people and subcultures. Please read, it's another podcast, so you can listen to it as well, Carnival 2012, a psychological study of the 2012 phenomenon and the 22 classic pitfalls and blind spots of esoteric research. So you can consider that the sequel and this the prequel uh, on this same subject. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Obviously, you cannot be somebody buying in too much to the political incorrectness of reality testing or you wouldn't have listened to the end of this unless you're sharpening a knife right now. And this is Jonathan Zapp of zapporacle.com signing off.